Genre. Welcome back to Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and fight on the side of a building in Spider-Man 2, (laughs) one Aunt May flinging minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Zach Luna. And I'm Paul Montgomery uh, from the internet. Yay! You may also also know me as the co-author of the upcoming graphic novel, The Margins, uh, with my buddy David Acampo and uh, our artist uh, Amanda Donahue. Yes. Uh, So maybe we can talk about that later but. yes yeah. yeah and i'm very i'm very excited to talk about uh, about that book um but uh we are here to talk about minute 51 which <gasps> starts with uh, a woman on the phone hearing something <laughs> and uh ends with spider-man telling aunt may to hang on yeah you Just know keep hanging in there it's <laughs> It's not I, I I I think I can count on one hand the amount of uh action scenes that involve an elderly woman uh to such True. a degree that are yeah. that is in this. <laughs> I mean, granted, it's an elderly woman in peril. Um so maybe yeah. not as impressive as like Helen Mirren in uh what was that, Red Two? Red that what, yeah, yeah, yeah or, or just Red. Um well, she was in Red, yeah. She was, yeah, she she was, was in the both. first one. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. So maybe not as impressive, quite as impressive as that, but uh, you know, kind of impressive nonetheless. Just it's seeing rare. an elderly woman being flung around in an action scene is uh, not something you see a lot. Yeah, and the stuff on wires, and you know, her whole bit with the angel, which we'll get to later. Like it's she's very involved, and it's kind of fun. I'm I'm sure Rosemary Harris had a had a blast doing it. Um, by by all <laughs> accounts, she was pretty pretty stoked about having more to do in this film because as we talked about last season. There's not a lot for Aunt May to do in the previous film. She's, you know, she's right. there. Um, right. But this one, she's at least a lot more integral to the story itself. So it's fun to see that reflected in the, um, you know, the big spectac- spectacle stuff, too. So, yeah. Way to go, Rosemary. You look, you look, she prays in the first one, right? That's the one where yeah. it's, it's <laughs> yeah. into the bedroom and she's praying very dramatically. <laughs> Yep. Finish it. Yeah, that one. And yeah, deliver us. <laughs> like, that's what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little wild. This yeah. is, uh, I think, a little more involved. Um, in terms of, I mean, this whole week is mostly just Doc Ock and uh, Aunt May and Spidey doing stuff. Uh, but I finally found one other actor to make note of here. And it was a little tricky because she's not in the credits. But our uh, our young lady here on the phone here at the top of the episode. Uh, so the is, one in, yeah. on the right. The on one, the right, yeah. She's on the phone yeah. with glasses, and she does all the big screaming in this uh, minute 51. That is Bonnie Somerville, who is, uh, depending right. on what shows you watch, um, a kind of fairly recognizable actress. Uh, she 
My, the main thing that I think a lot of people know her from is she was Mona on Friends, and uh, she was a series regular on Code Black. But what I figured Scott might recognize her from is that she played Rachel Hoffman on the OC in the first season. That's where I know her from. Oh, yeah. wow. She's that lawyer who tries to seduce Sandy all the time right. in season one. <laughs> oh, this wow. Her, yeah, this is her just uh, making a screamy appearance in a... Uh, and Sam Raimi movie, uh, going she full a singer Sam too. She is also a singer. Yeah, is she on the OC soundtrack or like the I don't Garden know. State it's soundtrack possible. or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, she's around. I don't know as much it's about her. Femora from college era is just. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she even. I mean, she uh, she started as a professional singer when she was like seventeen, uh, and uh, has been in a few different bands here and there. The one that I thought was funny was that she was once in a band with Hugh Laurie, uh, which mm. was called the band from tv uh they played covers uh and the money Ah. all went to charity so that's fun they made Hmm. made a charity album you can still buy it on amazon and support whatever charity it was for which i don't actually know but yeah i don't know she's just like one of those who's just uh, she's in all sorts of things and she's a familiar enough face that you can be like wait what do i know her from it's like oh that's detective laura from nypd blue all those million episodes she did or oh that's mimi from kitchen confidential with bradley cooper or oh she's the the lady from Golden Boy, but yeah, there she is, Bonnie Somerville. Pretty, mm. um, you know, just just now, doing a little uncredited role. Okay, so is are so that's when you said that off off mic. You said I was going to recognize someone. I thought I thought I when I rewatched it, I saw the other woman. I, it, that's that's Maria Bamford, isn't it? No, I don't think so. The the it, woman I, on the left side. No, I mean she looks like Maria Bamford. But, I don't know. Oh, there's I'll do some googling while you guys talk. Yeah, yeah. There, oh man, there's something about her that just really reminds me of Maria Bamford. Like almost like Maria Bamford was doing like you know extra work or something when she right. first moved yeah, out yeah. to LA or something. I don't. Which is entirely possible. Like I mean, that's what I did when I first moved out to LA. There's yeah, like. Several episodes of Parks and Recreation where, like, I'm just wandering in the background with my dumb face. Behind so it's a road. so it's a no, but uh, I can connect it. Oh, yeah. She was in Charlotte's Web. Oh, to that's pretty close. Yeah. Wilbur's Great Adventure. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. But but the other thing too is that like extra work, unless it's really featured, you don't get credits for it. So it would be hard right. to like actually look it up. You know, it's usually eagle-eyed people possibly like us pointing out like oh yeah like brad pitt did a lot of extra work when he moved to to la but you would never find it on like a resume or an imdb type thing so man it does look a lot like her oh no that's crazy i don't know it's possible but yeah no i was mostly just going for the the oc points there (laughs) i mean i appreciate the oc points but not really distracted (laughs) by this other woman who i would swear is maria bamford uh yeah but Maybe not. What do you think about this scene itself? Like the uh, well, okay. <laughs> so I bit. don't, I don't love the screaming, but I do, I do love that we are seeing the uh, destructive nature of Doc. What what it's like for Doc Ock to crawl up a building that uh-huh. he's like, yeah. you know, wrecking the interior of the, this building um, along with the exterior because he's not. He's not sticking to the side of the building. He's stabbing no, his way it. into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and well, I, so I, I kind of like that. I like that mm. aspect of it. Um, mm. But uh, I like when the monster yeah. movie kind of bleeds through a little bit. Kind of like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not nearly as much as the hospital scene. Right. But uh, building these big 
practical tentacles and actually smashing them through walls and stuff like that's all fun. it also yeah. it also shows uh, later on in the same minute that he's a huge liar because he says butterfingers yeah and he's actually got a very good grip yeah yes, maybe yeah. too good of a grip too yeah <laughs> really excellent no I, this guy this uh, this uh, super villain guy maybe not the most honest person out there. yeah it's, as it turns out <laughs> Uh, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I, and I, I really like, um, I like the shot where she's screaming and running toward the camera. It's just so, it's so big and silly and dramatic and <laughs> I don't know. It just feels very Sam Raimi to me. And I like that yeah. a lot, but, uh, I also, I like seeing Doc Ock and Aunt May in the windows in the background. I think yes, that's, uh, that's yeah. a nice detail. And, and I think they really did it that they're not like comped in. I mean, obviously the tentacles are, but I think they literally, had them rigged on the outside of the set because this is an in- oh. an interior set. And yeah, they just sort of because like look if you look at uh, Aunt May flailing around there, it really looks like she's just outside the window. <laughs> yeah, ah! <laughs> that's true. That's Screaming pretty good. And yelling. I like that. Um, yeah, my assumption is that everything, pretty much everything, this minute was shot on sound stages with uh, a green screen replacement for the background because once mm-hmm. we get outside on the wall there, um, it looks to me like it's a slanted set. So like uh, that they're moved along on wires and kind of suspended halfway mm. horizontal, at mm-hmm. least uh, yeah, May and Ock are, but that they have a physical thing to w- walk around on, interact with. Um, I think it looks pretty good. As far as the like faking the walls things goes in these movies, I think this little exchange with Spidey above them and looking down at them works pretty well. Uh, the I don't know what it is about the gravity looking right, but it looks fine to me. Yeah. Yeah, I just I distinctly remember being in the theater and thinking like, yeah, we're finally getting into the, you know, superhero movies, comic book movies being a thing and they're just being straight up like broad daylight action sequences and yeah. that being a very big deal. Mm-hmm. And I was also ex- I was excited. I remember at that point thinking that the next step was having like team-ups between villains or like team-ups between superheroes. Oh, and sure. I could yeah. only imagine what the future would bring. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, it's not just going to be a Spider-Man movie. It's going to be Spider-Man. Like who knew there would be a Spider-Man and Iron Man movie that's basic, you know, it's billed as a Spider-Man yeah. movie, but there is a team-up mm-hmm. element too homecoming so it's really interesting looking back on that and this i do remember like this stuff and like later the stuff on the train being like a really big deal like actually we're actually getting like the the middle sequences of of a comic book Um, it's not just the third act stuff it's also just like cool set pieces set during the middle of the day or like it's Mm -hmm. a bank robbery and I, i just remember thinking just that becoming like I was like, don't take this for granted, Paul. Like, this is, this is really important. <laughs> this is a big moment in, in filmmaking. Even in contrast to, like, the previous movie, I mean, there's the World Unity Festival, which is the only big, like, sunlight, uh, you know, full daylight thing mm-hmm, last time. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the, like, big action-y Spider-Man stuff in the first movie is him at night. Like, his first appearance in the full suit ever is at night when he's, like, uh, apprehending robbers and whatnot. And the big fight at the end is all at night and whatnot because it's you know generally easier to sell effects and stuff like that um, you know like Jurassic Park in the rain or in the dark and whatnot right. um but this one it they they really went for the whole enchilada i guess and, yeah and for the most part it works i li- i i still like the effects in this even though i don't like believe them i, I don't know how to phrase that 
but you know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I think I think I uh, I, mm. I I just buy into them. Um, I might not mm-hmm. necessarily believe them as like real, but I I buy into them, and that's that's a good way to dis- that's yeah that's, that's a good m- distinction. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's more than I can say for the effects in the first movie. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like once you're on board, you you don't really get pulled yeah. out of it by this. I th- I think a big stuff. part of that is uh, the you know Bill Pope being such an experienced. DP and and experienced with uh, this kind of filmmaking at this point, having done totally um, the Matrix movies and having worked with uh, Sam before on Army of Darkness. We was familiar with both aspects of, of, you know, making a crazy uh, action based blockbuster and then also working with the kinetic direction of uh, (laughs) Sam Raimi. Um, And then you combine those things and he knows both of those things fairly well and then can turn out a movie that um just works you know totally yeah Yeah. and you're thinking like this isn't going for grounded you know like Raimi's going for it there's there's a heightened operatic tone to to everything that's going on and um, yeah with with breaks for schlocky horror like the like the hospital scene (laughs) that you mentioned which is one of my favorites in the movie but um like you know just even a line like uh butterfingers like (laughs) <laughs> in another movie i might be like you know what maybe this needs another draft like maybe you can come up with a better line for that but like butterfingers is kind of the perfect line for the scene in this movie yeah yeah um it's it, it has just that that sense of um of being a big cartoon and um that might be you know annoying with other characters or with other films but for this i think it really works yeah totally. um, and, and so yeah. you can do things like have you know Bonnie Somerville screaming, running towards the camera and just really, <laughs> really heightened stuff. For for me personally, I might say like have her, but instead of the the Maria Bamford stand in, have, uh-huh. have, have Hal Sparks in there again oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and just give like a Jim from the office look at the camera. Like seriously, like this is still happening. <laughs> Can't believe this week I've been having. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's... Mm, I guess I had a comment, but it'll probably make more sense in a in a later conversation. But just in terms of like uh, when we go big and have those Sam touches, um, I I usually love it. The only thing that I ever uh, get a little when it wherever wears thin is if it's like the same beat repeated. I guess, and I think that's why some people when they see the screamy bit here, it's just the buildup of the screamy nurses earlier and some other screams we'll have later mm-hmm. where they can kind of be like, oh, I don't know if I like the scream, but like. Especially watching it isolated today, it's just fun. It's just like really Sam Raimi having fun. Have yeah. you guys have you guys talked about uh, the glasses at all? Uh, Ox new glasses? Not yeah. really. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. Um, how do you feel about? Well, we. Mm, mm, <laughs> how how do I feel about them? <laughs> They're fine. I I don't know. Yeah. Um, I I I I like that he has. Um, I like a couple of things about them. I like that they're round lenses, which is sort of, uh, you know, like visually they're, they're, they're trying to be, um, reminiscent of like his, uh, you know, like science goggles or whatever, um, from the comics, which is, which is, you know, nice. But then I also, Hmm. I like that they are, uh, they're like sunglass, sunglasses covers over spectacles is what it appears. (laughs) Um, 
which makes it sort frame. of like yeah, a, like yeah, a different sort world of nerdy. kind of style. Like yeah, 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 okay. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, so I, you know, I like that because it it sort of makes him uh, a little nerdy. Because I don't know, like Doc Ock in this movie, he's he's like uh, somebody's dad gone bad. <laughs> um, so I kind of like that, which is yeah. also why the Butterfingers line works <laughs> because. Um, maybe not a super villain, but uh, somebody's dad. No, hundred <laughs> percent. Is that yeah. the, is yeah. that the through line for the primary villains of this trilogy? Is there always somebody's dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very, um, very dad yeah. Norman's things. Harry's dad, Sandman's his daughter's dad, and and Ock is uh, Peter surrogate dad, Father. sort of. Just, just also is his, the quintessential yeah. dad. Yeah, just He's very dad. dad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just like the things I, I'm not saying Otto's look is cool in this film, but I think his, his look is what a dad thinks is cool. Like mm. his whole, you know, burgundy sweaters, uh, burgundy uh, turtlenecks earlier on in the movie when he's being, <laughs> you know, I'm a European professor. And now that he's got this like this big, like nicely tailored jacket and his like cool flippy sunglasses i just think a lot about like my dad being so excited about his flippy sunglasses mm-hmm. growing up like he was like aren't they cool like you know i can wear i get the sense I, I get the sense down. that he raided like a lost and found for those because this, this is like his bank robbery <laughs> costume it's not necessarily mm-hmm. his super villain costume this is just this, sure this was yeah. so he could get into the bank and like not be noticed or like mm-hmm. if the camera's caught, like and i don't know you know uh, just, yeah. I guess they're like that. He's under the influence of the arms at this point, but there's yeah. like some sense of of shame uh, that he feels as a human being that he's got to get some kind of costume when he's he's up to no good in a bank. So I could just yeah. see him like like going into a Salvation Army or something and just like grabbing some stuff and yeah, uh, yeah. including this this utilitarian but also very fashionable and sort of uh, thematically appropriate duster that he's wearing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's just, he's the, just the right kind of goober. Like it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's trying to be dapper and he looks like a monster. I I love that. <laughs> I will say in seeing it in, in this clip, um, divorced mm. from the film at, at large, um, mm. it's, it feels like the, the main thing in this minute, at least that kind of dates the movie. Um, it's just like I, I don't know like it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like those glasses are nostalgic in any way. It feels like they are dorky but of a of a style. Mm. And mm, so it, it, yeah. it kind it kind of dates the scene a little bit. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. I can and see fashion that. fashion is going to be the big thing that dates any of these movies, you know, this many years yeah. out. Right. And and for the most part, I think it might stand out because for the most part they try not to like overly focus on signifiers that uh, indicate that it's fashion wise 2004 or 2003 when they shot it um it uh, most of the time exists kind of outside of time it's slightly old not not quite not quite to the level of uh tim burton's batman but but it's kind of going for a similar thing instead of right right instead of 80s and and the 40s it's You know, right. two thousand four and the sixties, right? Yeah. So when they, so, so when you, they when they are ostentatious like that, it it stands out. So like in the first movie, it's MJ's dress. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or Macy Gray. You know, the, like, yeah. Exactly. Like it's like that's <laughs> that's a choice. You know. And, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And these glasses are 
there's nothing about these glasses that are like, oh, this is a timeless, uh, you know, throwback piece that he chose. This is like, oh, this is hip mm-hmm. currently. I, he thinks this is hip uh, in some way. And nothing is going to date faster than the current uh, world's version of like what something hip and futuristic looks like. Yeah, it's two things. So, it's it's fashion and then it's, and we'll talk about this, but the CG. Mm-hmm. So like- Sure, yeah. The, yeah. Fir- the, the, the stuff that's bleeding edge, state of the art. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. They're the first thing, they were the most impressive thing when you saw it originally, but then when you go back mm-hmm. to it, it's the first thing that feels like, okay, this is how far back this was and how, yeah. this is how much we've advanced since then, that this is something that sticks out. Which, to be fair, at least with something like Jurassic Park, and for most of the shots in this film, not not the one at the end of this minute, but for most of the shots in this film, there is this um, almost delicate hand with the approach to the CG where nowadays, put all the bright lights on it, let the CGI be the focus, go from a close-up to whatever. But uh, what I always appreciated in Jurassic Park is like you can tell that the... Uh, the textures aren't there, aren't you know? It's not as fancy looking as we would render the objects now. Mm. But the camera is very careful to like look at them in certain ways, or um, only use it when it's a hundred percent necessary for the movement, and fill in all the edges with the practical effects and whatnot. And for the most part, in this movie, as we've been noticing this tendency to, we got a close up with physical uh, puppets, and when, if we cut out wide, then we can put the um, the cgi ones in but as often as possible we come back to practical um almost this idea of it won't hold up at first you know at at close range so we'll only use it for the big bombastic stuff maybe that doesn't hide it at all but at least there's a less yeah everything cgi all the time approach and Mm -hmm. and that feels like i'm more willing to buy into it even if the effect doesn't hold up Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Um, I do have a question about the uh, practicality of uh, what Otto's doing here because he <laughs> he he kidnaps he kidnaps uh, Aunt May, which okay yeah. fine take a hostage practically sure <laughs> um, that's that's fine you're trying to get away you take a hostage all right I get it yeah, uh, yeah. but w- he drops her and then rather than you know just getting out of there uh, Spider Man you know saves like tries to save her and then does it. And then he just starts punching him. And I just, I'm I'm just thinking like, I don't know, Otto, like just let him save her. Like, cause don't you want the distraction? Like, why are you waiting around to like beat him up when he comes back? Like, I don't. I, yeah. Like, it's like I, the Butterfingers uh, move works. If your intention is to get away. Right. It, it, it doesn't work if your intention is to keep fighting. Him. Yeah. So it's like, how dare you save her? I'm going to beat you up now. And it's like, okay, did you want to kill the old woman? Is that what your ultimate goal here is? I don't understand his uh, his thought process here. Well, I think you have to look at the animal kingdom and anytime you've seen an encounter between an actual octopus and a spider. Right, yes. Oh, um, yeah. Particularly a recluse spider. Um, it's uh, the, the octopus has to be a dick. Um, right, yeah. It, it, it will forgo... You know, that fight or flight response, it's always fight. <laughs> yes, that's right. Because you have to ex- exterminate the threat. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, they, just it's not enough to just get away. This is the guy that ruined your bank heist. You got to snuff him out. You got to, got to. <laughs> Maybe it's part of it is the fact that, like, he lets Spidey do the first initial save of Aunt May and then just slams him right into the 
the brick building. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's you could throw him away. You could do all sorts of things, but he just really wants to smash him into the building. Yeah. To be fair, it looks great when he does that. Like, um, it, it does. Yeah. Um, well, because we have like again, we have we're going to the CGI Spidey when the arm is pulling him off. But when he slams into the building the first time, it's still a stuntman, like in that same shot. Like, I might never believe the physical, real presence of the CGI Spidey, but I like how hard they try to blend them together smoothly. That, like, physical stuntman slamming into the thing, and then when he pulls back a bit, then it's CG. Like, I like that. I like yeah. I like the effort, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, a, it's a good mix. and I And I think it's... It's it's a lot uh the the lighting is a lot better uh you know when they're using the CG uh, character models in this film yeah. versus the last one you know we keep talking about water balloon spider-man from the first movie um <laughs> and uh and how not great that looks and i mean this doesn't this doesn't look great when you compare it to you know what we're capable of now but hmm. uh even compared to what they were doing 2 years previously it's a huge huge step up totally yeah totally. I think they're just figuring it out, I guess, um, yeah. how to do this. Stan Lee's in this minute. That's a thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Well, I guess yeah. we didn't mention that. Um, yeah. He uh, saved somebody from falling debris again. That yeah. was his lot in life early on in He's these getting uh, good Marvel, at it. Yeah. Marvel movies. So how many cameos has he done at this point? Um, at least 18, I think. Um, no, in, in you in, mean at this point in oh, 2004. Oh, Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this two, is what number cameo is that? I believe this is his three or four. Fifth, fifth. Oh, fifth. Okay. Because okay. because it would have been X Men, Spider Man, X Men Two, Hulk, and then this. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Hulk. This yeah. is pre Daredevil. Oh no, no. Yeah, you're right. So sixth, right? Because this would have been after Daredevil too. I had I had Daredevil on my mind because of all the CG characters that they used for the third act of that one, and that yeah. being very painful. Um, yeah, there was yes. like no practical in that movie whatsoever. Yeah, right. we weren't quite at this level yet. Um, yeah, so so man. I think sixth because I don't think Fantastic Four had come out yet. I think that was the following year. Yeah. Um, the Tim Story Fantastic Four. So yeah, this would have been six then. Were we ever so young <laughs> <laughs> that there were only I, six Stanley cameos? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I don't believe it. Uh, Here's the thing, right? I'm I'm just doing this math in my head right now. But uh, by the time Iron Man came out, we probably already had at least ten Stanley cameos, mm. and then post Iron Man to now. There's at least 18, right? There's 18 films in the MCU, yeah, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're pro- we probably live in a world now with like 30 some odd Stanley cameos. Oh, at least and at least yeah. 30 because he even had a cameo in Runaways. My God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I mean, you know, he has cameos all over the place. Uh, guys everywhere. He sure is. Oh, but, uh, Stanley. This was. Where does this one rank? Um, I I like this one pretty much because it doesn't draw attention to itself. Like I would put it pretty heroic, high. like blink and you'll miss it, Stanley. Yeah, yeah. It's a Stanley cameo that doesn't make it about being a Stanley cameo. Like we don't right. grind the movie to a halt to have Stanley time. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, a Beyonder. He's not a cosmic spy. <laughs> yeah, like he's 
I think the most involved one was probably the Incredible Hulk one. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's like a that's like a, a plot subplot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite of his cameos is probably the one uh, in Amazing Spider-Man when he's the librarian. <laughs> yeah, um, I I, I yeah. like that one with the fight in the background and he can't hear them because he's listening to his headphones. Yeah, because um, again, it's like it's a scene that would be funny and fun if it wasn't Stanley. That's made more fun by the fact that it's Stanley. It's yeah. not just Stanley time. Yeah. I like the Spider-Man Homecoming one. I like leaning out the window and like yeah. interacting with his neighbors. And hey. it's also like it's it's building on a really great montage mm-hmm. um, yeah. that is like it, it's continually escalating with zaniness. Like it just adds <laughs> like it's joke upon joke upon joke. And then, oh, there's Stanley. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that's a that's a that was a really good use of him too. Um this yeah. is uh, if, if you are gonna go beyonder with Stanley, you have to really do it well <laughs> for it not to like grate on me. I, I think James Gunn is pretty good at it, but uh I just don't like it when the movie stops for Stanley. So no, like yeah. my platonic ideal is either like, yeah, something really clever and fun like the Amazing Spider Man or Homecoming. The the problem um, is though that is that they have to stop for Stanley now because they have they they block schedule those a bunch uh, of them. Yeah, a bunch of them and so there's no they're at no point like they can't be sort of mixed in with the rest of the plot because they went and like filmed like, you know, six in a row in case he dies and they yeah. still have some uh backlogged and and it it makes it so that yeah, they they definitely stick out. At this point, he's a very old man, and uh-huh. they're just very realistic about, let's get a few of these in the can. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Know. So I think that's why- You know what's a, you know a good one? Big mm. Hero 6. That's a good one. Oh, that oh, is a pretty Hero good six. one. That is oh. a pretty good one. It's an animated Stan Lee cameo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that yeah. one's a pretty good one. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. and funny. It's surprising because I think it's like the only Marvel reference in the whole movie, really. Um, <laughs> And it's Stanley. Mm, yeah. 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 But uh, all right. Well, uh, Paul, tell us about The Margins. Oh, gosh. Um, so The Margins is um, my first graphic novel. This will be um, – this, like this is – this is just another Wednesday for Dave because he's he's written stuff like Lost Angels and things like that. Um, uh-huh. But uh, but this is this is our first original graphic novel. Um, it's creator owned book through Fanbase Press. Uh, it's coming out July twenty third, and it's a mixture of there's a little bit of Cool World in there. There's a little bit of Never Ending Story in there. It's about Ooh. an illustrator, um, a young woman named Charlie. Uh, who lives in Portland with her girlfriend, Rita. And um, this is just as much Rita's story as well. She's got a whole subplot going on with, uh, she's trying to open up a really good, authentic Mexican cuisine food cart in Portland because Dave moved to Portland while we were developing this book and Uh discovered that it's just not there. It's just not happening. He's coming from Mm. Southern California. And so he really missed that part of the food pyramid was just not there in Portland. Um, They may say they've got everything covered, but they don't. Um, I'm taking this, I'm taking this on Dave. So don't send me, don't send me the emails like (laughs) (laughs) you're saying it's something's lacking. Um, But anyways, uh, Charlie takes on this job drawing a comic book uh, with this guy she meets online and she doesn't know it, but it turns out that this, 
this comic is he's basically ripping the story from an old pulp manuscript from the 30s that his great grandfather wrote. And uh, it turns out um, great granddad is not quite done with the story yet. Um, he went missing back in 1937, um, but he's not done with this story. And um, Charlie gets sort of like swept up in this mystical, fantastical world of Alad, starts drawing things. And those things start, start scurrying about in Portland um, in the grocery oh, store. Like, <laughs> and um, so there, there are goblins in Portland now. Um, just if, if, if Portland wasn't enough already, there are now goblins. So <laughs> uh, that, is, that is the margins. It's about uh, gatekeeping. It's about um, the creative process. Uh, it's about obsession, all those things. And we're working with a first-time comic artist named Amanda Donahue. Uh, I cannot mm -hmm. believe it's her first comics work, but it is. Um, she works in animation. Um, and her, her storytelling is so expressive uh really great you know uh facial stuff and like just i i love watching the characters hands because they they tell a story all on their own uh the gestures that we do with our hands and things like that so um i don't recommend that people start out their first comic thing as a 120 plus page graphic novel um you might want to start with like an eight pager um maybe start there but uh we went whole hog on it and um amanda it's been amazing to watch her grow as an artist through the whole process um especially since she started off at such an amazing point. Um, but she's only gotten better and better. And uh, I'm really excited for people to see it. So uh, it's in pre-orders. We're not going through Diamond. Um, you can pre-order it through uh, the Margins comic. I believe it's the marginscomic.com or if you go to fanbasepress.com, uh, you can find uh, the Margins page on there. Uh, you'll also find it on my Twitter at Fuzzy Typewriter or the Margins comic uh, on Twitter. What else? And then it'll be uh, on Amazon and Comixology in July. Beautiful. So nice. uh, it's, uh, it, it's been in the works for several years now and it's very surreal that I get to actually talk about it. <laughs> oh yeah. I've, I've seen you talk, I mean, you know, sort of hinting at yeah. it and stuff for a long <clears throat> time. So this is uh, definitely a long time coming. It's, it's uh, really cool to yeah, see I'm it finally I'm happening. Thrilled for, <laughs> yeah, I'm thrilled for previews to finally be coming out and uh, we've done some, some interviews and, and, uh, it's just weird. It's I was like, am I actually allowed to talk about this? And Dave's like, yeah, you can say that. Like, that's, yeah. you're allowed to talk about it. Now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Fantastic. Uh, very cool. Well, uh, we've got you for two more days, so uh, we'll all be back here tomorrow to talk about minute fifty-two. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.